0: The Convention Collective Sandbox at Portsmouth Comic Con 2019. Hello, everyone. Apologies for the slight late delay. With me is Steve Engelhart, so i us just give a big hand. Welcome, welcome to Portsmouth. You have been okay. over here, but when was the last time you came over? It's only been a few years, is that
1: right? Yeah, I was in London for a show like two years ago, maybe three, something like that. That's what I thought. And I've been, I've been to other shows only in London, I think. Yeah. This
0: is your first time down on the south yeah. coast. Yeah. So. Well,
1: I've been to uh, Brighton, but oh, okay. You know, but not to Portsmouth.
0: No. So we're going to go through your career, which obviously is huge. We're only going to be able to scratch the surface. Of, of a very impressive career. Um, I want to start, it's interesting, so so you, you studied psychology, is that right? Right. So psychology, I mean did, was that a useful skill for you as a writer? Did you find it useful?
1: It really was. I, you know, I think the underlying motive for all that was I wanted to understand why people did what they did and by the time I got my degree in psychology I realized psychology wasn't going to tell me that. Yes. Um, so, I never, I never studied it anymore, but I've been writing all those different characters. I really liked getting inside all the individual characters' heads and, and you know, being Captain America, being yes, Batman, yes, being, yes. you know. Um, that was one of the great things about choosing to write comics was there were so many characters that you could play with. So yeah, it was, it ended up fitting my interests yes. perfectly.
0: But you started as an art assistant, am I right? Mm. I mean, it's it's interesting. So how did that come about?
1: Um, I wanted to be an artist. I was, you know, it was comic book art that brought me, um, that first interested me in comics. I told a story earlier how one of Stan Lee's comics brought me into Marvel comics, but all the time I was thinking I wanted to be an artist. And um, my favorite artist at the time was Neil Adams, and I was in the Army at the time, yes. stationed about three hours south of New York. But one day, I got off my duties early on a Friday, so I took a train up to New York and said to Neil, you know, do you ever have assistance? Would you like to, you know, hopefully, maybe, like, possibly take me on?
0: Yes.
1: And, and I said, you know, I'll be out of the Army in a few months. And he said, well, why don't we start now? Um, because that was the way Neil was. So I ended up working with Neil, long story short. Um, He insisted on having my name in the credits on the first job we did, which nobody ever did with their assistant, but he wanted me to have a published credit. Um, And and so I proceeded to be a young artist, doing young artist types of things, but one day through a very long and no, not worth going through series of circumstances, I was on staff at Marvel yes. and somebody decided not to write a script. So they said, you over there in the corner, you want to write this thing? And I said, yeah. And then it turned out I liked writing it and they liked what I wrote. And so they offered me more and then art kind of fell by the wayside.
0: Were you part of? Was it the Krusty Bunkers? Were you one of
1: those? Well, no, I was the proto-Krusty Bunker. Oh, okay, uh, there was just me in the beginning. Oh, okay. And I guess it, you know, Neil liked the concept well enough that he yes. then he ended up getting a bunch of people to do that sort of thing.
0: So, so you were co-writing to begin with, or or you're writing on your own? For your uh,
1: both. a bit of both. Both. I mean, Marvel in those days still published westerns and yes. romance yes. and monster books and so forth. And so the way it worked was. If they decided to let you write, you wrote those things yes. so that if you flamed out, it wouldn't be affecting Iron Man or yes. whatever. Uh, but they continued to like what I did, and so you kind of moved up until one day he said, Do "You want to write the Beast?" Yes. They started the series, and then like from from the time that they offered me the Beast to a year later, I picked up. The Beast, Captain America, Avengers, Defenders, Doc, Savage, um, Hulk, I can't, I can't even remember. Yeah. But it was just like, with comics, it's like, if they like what you're doing, they'll offer you some more. And so long as you can actually do it, you can do that, and they'll offer you more. I eventually topped out at four books a month. Wow, and when I topped out at four books a yes. month, then they said, you want to do Doctor Strange? So, and then I had yes. to fit that in, too. But, yeah, it was it was a... It went from zero to 60 very quickly. So were
0: you working in the bullpen when you were writing these things? Mm -hmm. I know it was for the art side, but were you in the office or was it from home you were writing?
1: At first in the office. When I first started, I was still working in the office. And then when I started to get a lot of writing... Uh, I didn't want to take the time to commute, so I just, you know, so I... I mean,
0: do you think it's because you were in the office that gave you sort of like the advantage, if you like, because you happen to be there, you go, you know, we need yeah. to get this book written, and we've got Steve there, so well, they didn't, him to do, yeah. well, you know, yeah, the guy over there to write...
1: Exactly. Uh, well, that was the deal. I was the guy over there, so, you know, if it had been somebody else, he would have gotten the shot. Yes. But they, you know, and I almost didn't want it. I didn't want a staff job, really, but I took it, and then that... Everything else came out of it.
0: I mean, when you were a kid, were you a Marvel or a DC reader?
1: Uh, DC. You were a DC reader. Yeah, I'm. Uh, sadly, I'm old enough to say that I was. The stuff I was reading as a kid was in the '50s, and that was Superman, Marvel Batman, course. Wonder yes, Woman. Yes. There really wasn't anything else. But
0: during the but when Marvel started, did you become a Marvel reader?
1: No, not until Marvel started in '61, and I didn't get into it till '66, which was still pretty early. But but no, I. Um, I discovered it long after it had started, but it was still early enough in the whole process that I, after I discovered it in the spring of 66, I spent the summer of 66 going around to used bookstores and old, you know, antique stores and so forth, looking in their bins and, yes. you know, and I got Spider-Man number one for a nickel, you know, oh,
0: that's impressive. <laughs> you know, well, back then it was probably, yeah, you know, that you one, could, yeah. you could do that. So, yeah, yeah. So, you weren't a Marvel reader, but you sort of fell into writing for Marvel. Obviously, you did a lot. I mean, I want to talk about Shang-Chi a little bit, obviously, mm. which you sort of co-created. I mean, 70s was interesting because there was a lot of characters, this kind of Kung Fu. But what was the genesis of, of Shang-Chi? Uh,
1: it was the TV show Kung Fu. Of course. Um, Starlin and I saw that, and we said, that's a character that we would, you know, that kind of character is somebody we'd like to do. And we went to Marvel, to Roy. Uh, did Roy just do a panel here, yes, I don't yes, know, he this early, yeah. um, and uh, said, we want to do this, and Roy couldn't see any benefit in it at all. There was a, the panel we did two hours ago, <laughs> Roy was talking about how Stan didn't see any benefit in and Roy didn't see any benefit in, in Kung Fu, but we really wanted to do it, so he said, oh, okay, you can do it, and then right after we started... The whole kung fu movement just exploded. Yes. And so all of a sudden, you know, we were we were ahead of the wave, but then yes. the wave came along and, and, and really carried us off um, to the extent where they suddenly wanted to do the book twice as often and they wanted a black and white book and they yes. wanted specials and they yes. wanted annuals. And suppose Starlin and I, who had not signed up for something like that, yes. bailed out, but then Doug Bench and Paul oh, Galassi took yes. it over and made it fabulous he, yes. in its own yes. right, you know?
0: But I mean, obviously, you've, you've had such an interesting sort of diverse career, so there was that, um, obviously there was the Captain America stuff, I'm jumping around a little bit, but obviously Cap, you wrote one of the most seminal runs on the book, mm. so I mean, that character was, you know, it's, it's a very significant run, and obviously now, you know, in 2019 you've got, you know, Captain America is a huge character, mm. you know, one of the major linchpins of the, of the films, and I mean, in the seventies, how did you see the character? I mean, did you ever think? I mean, obviously now he's you know he's arguably Marvel's Superman as a major you know patriotic character, but seventies it was it was a different time for the character.
1: Yeah, when, when they gave me Captain America, and that was like when I started getting into superheroes, they gave me the Beast, and then like Captain America and the Defenders came together like right after that. So it was very early in my career. Um, and they said Captain America is a failing book. It's either going to get canceled or at least it's going to go by monthly um, Here. Yes. They take it. <laughs> You're we? the low yeah, man on, on the, the totem lo- pole. Yes. You, you yes. write it. Um, and the problem was, is I, you know, I went home that night, and, and, you know, this is sort of seminal in my career, but, I mean, I went home and I thought about it, and I thought, well, the problem, I identified a problem, and it turned out that I identified it correctly, which yes. was they were still selling Captain America as the living legend of World War II, which but didn't.
0: In the 1970s, yeah, it
1: right didn't time. mean much in the '70s, no. and there was the Vietnam War, yes. so a large part of our potential audience was not interested in war-related yes. stuff, and so I—I was the guy, for better or worse, who thought, well, what if he stood for the American ideal—the one thing that they teach was sort you, of timeless, basically. Yeah, something larger than any particular present, mm. you know, situation. So that's what I did and then and then 6 months later it was Marvel's best-selling book yes. which pretty much solidified my career after that point. Um but yeah, it was uh, making him stand for something larger than any yes. particular situation was just seemed like the right way to go and and, and then it, and then it did work and so then yes. You know.
0: I mean, there's something like the old Defenders run as well. I mean, I was a big yeah. fan of the Defenders I read as a kid. I borrowed them from my brother. And mm-hmm. the thing I liked about the Defenders is it's a very quirky team. Right. It's kind of like these second stringers, but it gave you the chance to do stuff that's more interesting, you know. And obviously, you've got Avengers as well, which we'll get into in a minute. But the yeah. you know, Defenders was something different. I mean, was that part of what the appeal was for you as a writer?
1: Yeah. Well, Roy created that, right? Yes. The, the the Defenders concept, and then handed it off to me. Um and yes, I totally, I, I really liked all those people, the Hulk, Submariner, yeah, Doctor Strange, yes. but they weren't team members. No, no. So the idea of putting them together as a non-team team was a brilliant idea on Roy's part. And then uh, that's w- what I enjoyed doing. Uh, I threw in the Valkyrie eventually because we needed somebody who, who wasn't, you know, uh, a superstar in their own right. Yes. Um, and the silver surfer eventually. Um, but, yeah, and then and then we're going to touch on this, I'm sure, but so I was writing The Avengers and The Defenders, I mean, and then it got to be summertime when Marvel usually put out annuals, but they decided that year they weren't going to do annuals, and I thought, well, as a fan, having just been a fan, I really liked those special things going on in the summer, so I came up with this idea about why don't The Avengers and Defenders fight each other all summer, and... and um, Again, it's it's it was the way Roy ran the company. You know, I said I want to do this and he said, "Well, you know, if any one of those books is late,
0: yes.
1: everything will topple." <laughs> it's like a domino effect. Right. So yeah. that's a problem and I said I will not screw up the deadlines and he said, "Okay then." You know, I mean, yes. that was the entire editorial uh, oversight that Marvel had in those days. So, um so I was able then to write all those guys and and but by the time I got done with it, I thought, "Well, Team books require certain types of villains, either yes. a team of villains yes. or somebody strong yes. somebody enough really to like fight all these guys. Or really big. Yeah, and so doing two of them. Yes. And I, to be honest, I think I probably preferred the Defenders as yes. a as a team as a, as a book to write. But I thought I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to give up the Avengers. So, yeah. um, and you know, obviously I like the Avengers yes. too. But. Yes. Um, so I had that p- brief period when I was doing both of them, and and I was really glad to be able to do the crossover thing, but um, couldn't do both forever.
0: Wow. So Avengers again, obviously iconic, Marvel's iconic sort of super team. So when when you took that over, you did, you did a long run mm-hmm. on Avengers. I mean, was it were they one of the books you read? you know, from Marvel? And again, was it something that you started flexing a slightly different creative muscle? Because Defenders are these kind of weird oddballs altogether, whereas Avengers is, you know, like the coolest Marvel heroes all in one place.
1: Right. There's that. And also, again, talking about writing characters, I mean... Part of the point of doing the Defenders was to make sure that they weren't a team, no. that they were continually going off Blassing in different directions and so forth. Whereas the Avengers were a team, and so you were I was able to play a lot more with, you know, the the, the relationships between these people, these ongoing relationships yes. which the defenders didn't really have. And and um, there was such a range, and you could reinvent the Avengers if you needed to, whatever. So you had the big heroes, but you also had the little romantic subplots yes. with the Vision and Wanda, and so forth. Uh, in many ways, I mean, again, uh, I don't know. I mean, I I, I liked everything yes. at some on yes. some level yes. or another. So, yes. but that was that was fun to do. And you mentioned the long run. I mean, in those days, again. If you got a book, you just stayed, stayed on the book. It, it wasn't one yeah. of these, let's write six issues no. and put it in a graphic album kind of thing, which I enjoyed. I mean, writing these people over time and yes. seeing how they developed, that was that was yes. fun too.
0: So Star-Lord, Star-Lord was your crea- co-creation, is that right? So again, what was the emphasis well, yeah. with that?
1: Um, Marvel was doing black and white books yes. that didn't have to fall under the Comics Code Authority. And... Um, so they asked me to come up with something, and I came up with this guy. I tell this story all the time, but, it you know, uh, the guy I created was completely unlikable. I wanted a really an anti-social, basically. yeah, an anti-hero. And my idea for the series was going to be totally different from what you saw. But, I mean, my idea was he would start out as this really anti-social guy, and then he was going to travel out through the solar system yes. And at each planet, he was going to have a story, an entire issue devoted to the mythology of that world. So it, the, when he got to Venus, it would be like a love story. And I even wanted to get different artists. I wanted to go get a love story artist to draw it. And then yeah. the next place would be Mars, and it was going to be a war story. And so I would have gotten. So each
0: artist a, would tailor. Yeah. Tell it to the story. Yeah,
1: and get it, get you know get Joe Kubert or get some art uh, yes. some war story guy to do that. That was my idea. Right, but I only wrote the first issue, and then I left the company unexpectedly. Yes. Yes. But I left, and so it was. So then it was left to Chris Claremont and other people to kind of go, "What are, what are we supposed to do guy? with this yes. guy?" You know, and so yes. they started taking the edges off and sending him on the trajectory yes. where he got to where he is now.
0: I mean, how do you feel about because obviously now he's been in two, well, three, four massive movies. The idea of this guy that you created has suddenly got a huge life of his own outside of. Your original creation.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the movies tend to do that. I mean, mantis is in those movies oh, know, too. And does. the mantis in the movies is totally not connected to the mantis that I created in the comics. I like the mantis in the movies. I like the movies. Yes, you know, yes. so I you know, that's fine, but it's you know different beasts, different totally beast. different beasts so. and and so much of that is well, I mean if I If I had made a list of the people that I created who were going to become major movie (laughs) stars, Star Lord would have probably been at the bottom of that list. (laughs) Uh, It was not, I didn't, you know, I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. So in my brain, it was always kind of like a failed uh, experiment. Um, So when I heard that they were going to do Star Lord in a movie, I was like, what the heck? But I did like the movies quite a lot, so it was fine, you know. I
0: mean, I guess we're going to touch on one more Marvel thing before we move on. I mean, Doctor Strange, it Mm -hmm. was another very well-regarded run. You got to work with Frank Brunner and you got to work with Gene Colan as well. And Brunner, I thought, was a very underrated artist. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, how did that come about? I mean, obviously you'd written Strange and Defenders. I mean, is that how that happened?
1: Well, I had written Strange and Defenders, and I had written him sort of, you know, as a magician superhero yes, thing. I yes, mean, it yes. wasn't, didn't get real heavy into the magic, no. other than because it had to fit in with an action thing with the Hulk and Submariner and all. Um, and then I left that. But Brunner had been drawing Doctor Strange with another writer who was kind of old school and Brunner kept having all these ideas that he wanted to do, but the other,
0: but the other, I don't really want to do
1: that. Yeah. So Brunner came to me and he, you know, we were all young guys again, you know, all in New York, all, there was a whole bunch of us, Jim Starlin and, and Don McGregor and Steve Gerber and, you know, um, so he came to me and said, "You know, would you write Doctor Strange for me?" And that's what I was starting to say before. I had sort of gotten to the point where I had my plate was full, and yes. then he said, "You want to do Doctor Strange?" And it's like, yeah, okay, I kind of do. So, so I made that happen. Um, uh, and that was a unique relationship because Frank did have ideas yes. about things that he wanted to see. Um, I had ideas about things I wanted to see. And so what we would do every couple of months, because it was a bimonthly book, was yes. either he'd come up to my place in Connecticut or I'd, or, he, or I'd go down to his place in New York and we'd have dinner. And then after dinner, we would just sit there as long as it took, sometimes till four in the morning, wow. kind of going, okay. Yeah, because yeah, it, was, it was my job in the end to make sure that it was a coherent story, yes. right? Yeah. Not just a bunch of weird ideas. So we would be, you know, talking back and forth and saying, "Well, what if we did, you know?" And it, so it was very much a, a co-creation thing with Brunner. But he was a slow artist, and when the book was popular enough to go monthly, he then can, he had to drop off. Speed, basically. Yeah. Then, then then, Gene Colan took over, and Colan just wanted to draw it, yes. But Col- and they were totally different, because Brunner was... Mm. I don't know that he is underrated. I mean, he only did. he's only famous for that in Howard the Duck, but he's pretty famous for those I things. You know, but, but
0: People don't talk about him much these days, it seems, because really? he's a guy who had a career that ran for, I guess it was about 10 years, and then he sort of disappears. Yeah,
1: I suppose. Um, but anyway, I mean, Brunner's stuff, people who were into Doctor Strange, they love Brunner, and, yes. and so do I love Brunner. They don't think so much of gene colin really? uh, with dr strange because colin's famous for many other things but and, yeah, yeah yeah but Colon was was wonderful i mean his art was fabulous and what i liked about it was brunner's stuff was sort of magical everything kind of sparkled and you know and and whereas colin's stuff was more photographic yeah. which was kind of interesting to see to earth, yeah so. to see magic done hmm realistically, yes. right? So I liked both ends of that thing. But okay. uh, um, in any event, uh, Frank asked me to come on and then he dropped off and then I stayed off.
0: Yes. So I guess we're going to move on to, to Strange Apparitions, kind of jumping from Marvel to DC. Mm. It's still a, one of my favorite Batman stories of all time. You know, it's an amazing. And it's just so, everything works. I mean, how did you, when did you first work with, with Marshall? Then. That was the first time you'd work with him.
1: Yeah. Um... Well, it's. I mentioned earlier that I left the com- Marvel unexpectedly, and and I did. And my wife had traveled in Europe for a year before she knew me, and I thought, well, that sounds pretty good. I had not been to Europe at that time, so I said, well, you know, I just unexpectedly quit my job here. <laughs> I got time. Yeah. Let's let's go to Europe for a year. And then while I was planning it, uh, Jeanette Kahn, who had just become the publisher at DC, yes. called me up and said, would you come over? and do the Justice League the way you did the Avengers because we need, you know, DC is lagging behind here yes. and we need characterization and interrelationships and stuff in the Justice League and I said well I can only give you a year yes. and if I do that I want to write the Batman As well. in well, and of himself okay. because Batman is the character that, you know, yes. I love the Batman since I was in the time when there weren't any other superheroes really yes. um, so so I thought at the time that I would be quitting comics forever as soon as I got done with Batman and Justice League. Yes. So I wanted to write this kind of ultimate everything that I could put into this. And it was going to be, you know, I'd written a bunch of different people at Marvel. This was going to be just a few things at DC. So I wanted to give it as much as I could. Anyway, I loved the Batman. I put as much as I could into it. But... Um, they assigned Walt Simonson and Al Milgram to do the art. In those days, you didn't ask for people to work with. You just, everything was assigned. And, you know, Simonson and Milgram, I mean, that can't be bad. But it didn't, it really didn't, it didn't really have the flavor exactly. Mm -hmm. And in those days, you didn't go in and say, get me somebody else either. You just, you know, you did your job. But I guess Julie Schwartz, the editor, decided that it wasn't really happening. But meanwhile, I was running out of time because I, was, <laughs> I had booked flight to Europe. So I ended up writing the last six issues as script in advance oh, really? to be handed off to whoever was going to draw this stuff. And, and the odds were that it wasn't going to be anybody any good because DC didn't have anybody who was any good at that point. And so, I again, I wrote these scripts the best I could possibly write in hopes that, you know, if the art was not very good... At you'd least still, the writing was still... Quality. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it wasn't until uh, we came over here and spent a month in Scotland, a month in England, a month in Germany, a month yeah. in France, a month in Scandinavia, and then went and spent the winter in Mallorca. And it was... While we were in Mallorca that I got this package from New York that had all the rest of the issues in it that Julie sent over. And that's the first time that I even saw No, that's the first time I saw what the art was, right? And came back to America eventually to have people going, Wow, this is you know this thing went this great. So I met Marshall and and Terry for the first time then, right? That's amazing. Yeah. I mean it, it it is. I mean it's like when I saw those books, quite frankly, when I saw those books, I said, thank you, God. You know, it was like, you know, you're leaving comics. Here's your final present. You know, then I came back to comics and blew all that. But, you know,
0: I mean, is it is it because it because you basically put everything in that you wanted to see in a Batman story? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, uh,
1: I really wanted to get back to the pulp. Yes. Sense of Batman. I really thought I was I one thing that had bugged me for a long time was dc superheroes particularly if they got any girlfriends they'd kind of like yeah no i'm not i'm not and i thought even as a kid i thought i don't think that's how that works exactly you know um so i wanted to give him a girlfriend and not only a girlfriend but a sex life in the realm of the comics code authority that you could you know to then make him like a real grown-up person yes and then the third thing was um really trying to to max out on the different classic villains Joker and Penguin and, and so forth so I put all that together and the other thing was I wanted to get inside Bruce Wayne's head right the guy who's doing all this yeah. so I put all those things together and, and figured out how to do it in seven issues which is what I originally had and when they gave me an eight they, it, the first one sold well enough that they ended up sticking an extra issue in in the summer so it ended up being eight issues and that was kind of good at first I thought well no, I've got everything plotted so tightly but then I was able to expand on some things and kind of reconfigure it and make it run eight issues. But no, I was I was extremely happy with what I'd come up with, what I, you know. And then as you may or may not know, I mean, they said or Michael Uselin, who yes. said I can see how to do a Batman movie for the mass market now because he's now an adult character, whatever. So
0: thanks to what you'd written.
1: Yeah. And so they, so they tried for like 10 years to make a movie out of it and, and had various people do screenplays. And eventually they came to me and they said, nobody really gets no. because we were talked about this a little bit in the Stan Lee panel that, for, that in those days, if you if you were a Hollywood person and they said, you know, here's your chance to do a comic book movie, people would go, Well, I never read comics, but I know they're crap, so I'm not gonna like really like put a lot of you know, it wasn't done by people who loved the comics. Um, so all these Hollywood screenwriters, they didn't have a sense of the ambiance, right. right? So they paid me to come in and, and be a script doctor on on this stuff of of looking at what was there and figuring out how it needed to be done in order to make it work, and once that happened, they made the movie. And once that happened, DC screwed me over and took away all my credits, and you know, and then, so I ended up not being a fan of DC. But uh, you know, it, it was—it turned out to be a pretty influential. Yes. Yeah. You know, run as it as it happened. And know.
0: obviously, you had the Deadshot issue, where you took this yeah. character who seemed a bit of a sort of lame duck yeah. back it when he first created, and then and then you did this brilliant thing with him. I mean, you know, you did a, I mean, you really stripped back the villains to their original essence, and I guess that's why it connected with so many readers because you had a brilliant Joker you really managed to get to the real nub of the villains.
1: Well, that's my, that's my extra issue. When they said, you know, yeah. I said, well, I've already done it. I've worked out Joker. I've worked out Penguin. You know, I mean, I guess I could do the Riddler. I could do whatever. And it was Julie Schwartz, actually, who said, how about Deadshot? And I, I didn't even know who Deadshot he was, was right? And Deadshot originally was a guy who wore a tuxedo with six guns. <laughs>
0: you know? I mean, was like... He looked very silly.
1: Yeah, he did. You know, so Marshall redesigned him and we, you know... I worked out a thing for him to do and all that. Um so that extra issue, basically the dead shot issue, but I was able to do a nice long scene with Bruce and Silver in a restaurant and these other things where I could let things breathe a little bit. Yes. Um But yeah, I mean there's DC has such a rich history, but yes. they don't they don't value creators. They, it's all very corporate at DC, yes. so
0: so I was going to ask you about the Madame Xanadu story. Hmm. Going back to Marshall. Yeah. I mean, did that sit in a drawer for ages? What happened with that?
1: that? Well, when you know, when I came back from Europe to find out that Marshall and I were now you know famous for Batman. Yes. Um, DC said, well, then there should be more Engelhart Rogers material. Yes. Um, and they asked us to do the Madame Xanadu story, um, and then. So it did this one-shot Mad of Xanadu story. And then they said, now do parts two and three. And I'm like, there are no parts <laughs> no, two and this three. Story's if, finished. this It finished. was a one-shot thing. But, you know, it's like you're assigned the thing. So I did parts two and three, and yes. then I left DC. Yes. So that ended up becoming Scorpio Rose over at, over at Eclipse Comics. Yes. Um, but, yeah, they wanted to uh, maximize, you know, Englehart Rogers Name. as much yes. as they could. Yes.
0: So, so obviously you can talk about Coyote, which obviously mm. was a big book. So mm. so you left DC and you basically wanted to do something creator-owned. Is that how that came about?
1: Yeah, well, it's sort of more backwards to that. I mean, I left DC and, and um, uh, I think I'd started doing work for Marvel. I can't remember whether I'd started at Marvel again doing West Coast Avengers and stuff or not. But in that time frame, they came and they said, we're going to do creator-owned stuff. Yes. What do you got? And I had done Coyote with Marshall at Eclipse Comics as a one-shot graphic album thing. And I really liked the character. I liked the the Southwest American Indian motif. Um, So that's what I did for them.
0: Um, Are there any plans to revisit the character at any point? Do you ever think about going back to Coyote at
1: all? Um, Well...
0: You have any more stories to tell with the character? Well, yeah, character?
1: I you know that was like the first character that I created that I owned. All this rest of this stuff, of course, is owned oh, com- by the yeah, companies, yeah. right? Work for hire, um, and Madame Xanadu then became somebody I owned, even though she'd had her genesis as, as uh... no, sorry, Scorpio Rose became the character I owned. Um, so after I after I left comics in the mid. 2000s i wrote three um fantasy novels for tour books yes and they had different heroes but coyote and scorpio rose appear in them Yes, um because i own them so i can can do that right um i'm i'm
0: uh... well you're not keen on going back to stuff in your past as a writer or I don't no I don't, I don't mind about.
1: particularly ones that I own I mean you yeah. know it's it, it's nice to, you know to know that anything revisit. that comes from it is going to come to me but um you know I basically I I to make this story short when I came in the door at Marvel Roy said if I'm going to give you these books if you can turn them in on time and you can make them sell you can keep doing them and if you fail on either one of those points we'll just fire you and get somebody who can do that yes. because we're publishing so many books that I don't have time to like edit everything therefore it's up to you i turned out to enjoy that you know having complete creative freedom to do whatever came to mind and it was really true i mean i never had uh, people come and say stop doing that or do it differently or whatever everything you saw was basically just what I thought should happen. Um, so, sorry, I lost oh, the No, that's all right. I, what, what was the question?
0: Oh, it was about whether you wanted to read... Well, I, I'm going to ask you about the prose, I suppose. How did you feel writing the three novels? Was it quite refreshing to write something different?
1: It, it was and it wasn't. Um, in the Stan Lee panel, they said Stan found his, his milieu in comics, that he never could, you know, he wasn't a real novelist, he wasn't a real screenwriter. I found that to be true as well. I didn't... I found... I really because I'd never done it and I really didn't uh, I didn't like taking the time to write the you know to say you know they're sitting in the council room and people are looking across at the window as the light change. it's like no I just want to write the dialogue you know I just I'm just a dialogue writer that's you know um, so it was it was a challenge and it was fun to like face the challenge yes. and to do what I could with it and I think, you know, I'm happy enough with the books. Yes. But I found when I was done with the three books, I thought, yeah, you know, I really like working, um, doing comics. Do but I think this is where I was going with this. I was given, I was given complete creative freedom. All of us were given cre- complete creative freedom when I came into comics. And it's like you get your first job, and they say, here's how the job works. And you yes. go, okay. Well, in my case, it was like, do whatever you want to do. So as the years went by, and as more layers of bureaucracy sort of accrued on the companies and particularly once they became
0: part of like a big corporation part of a corporation
1: that was doing movies I mean when they gave me Captain America they said do whatever you want to do right if I were to get Captain America now it would be like well it has to fit in with the movies and it has to you know we're going to sell lunch boxes and we're going to you know So in the mid-2000s, that's when I dropped out of comics. I said, this is not the business that I joined up for. And I don't, you know, the last, I, I, sort of one of the last things I did was um, I was one of the co-creators of the Ultraverse for Malibu. And Marvel bought Malibu. Um, they later discovered that all of our contracts said that we get a percentage of the profits. Therefore, Marvel put them all in a drawer and said, we're never going to publish these guys again. And I suspect that they won't unless somebody at Disney goes, why do we own all these characters and we're not doing anything, right? Um, But it was... Once again, I'm losing the train of oh, thought that's here. Right.
0: I was going <laughs> to ask you about. Uh, well, I guess just before you left comics, we had you had your Green Lantern run. Right. I mean, how did you find that? I mean, things changed already at that point in the industry, but did you did you enjoy working on? Because you did quite a decent run again, quite a lengthy run.
1: Well, I mean, I liked the DC characters. Um, I had already been been screwed over the Batman stuff. Yes. Uh, actually, no, that's not true. It was, no, that's not true. It was because uh, I wrote the Batman. I wrote the Green
0: Lantern. Well, I did that, Green Lantern
1: crazy. in the mid 80s, and it wasn't until the end of the 80s that the movie thing went down. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I loved Green Lantern because there was so much mythology of it. Yes. It was a more, you know, it was a DC yes. mythology, yes. but it was very extensive and, and very much fun. Um, any book that I did, I tried to find what was fun in it because. Yes. As a writer, you're basically sitting by yourself in a room thinking up stuff. I remember once bemoaning the fact that I was the only Avengers fan in the country who couldn't be surprised by the Avengers every month. Because was Because I had to write the Avengers every month. Um, so I would always... I, I mean, it's possible certainly to sit there and be bored out of your skull and write something professional that people will enjoy, but it comes out better if you mm. actually are enjoying it. Yes. So um, I were you
0: a Green Lantern reader as a kid? Did you read DC? Did you read... The Brumman Kane stuff. Were you yeah, of that? yeah.
1: Um, not when I was a little kid; they didn't have it then. But uh, but in the sixties,
0: later on.
1: Well, in the sixties, when I when I rediscovered Marvel comics or discovered Marvel comics and rediscovered comics. Yes. Comics were only ten cents, and I you know I went out and sort of read everything. I mean, I read all the Marvels, all the DCs, all the Gold Keys, all the Charltons, all the you know. Yes. um Seem to me that's what you should do i mean if you want to get into that field you should know all the different artists and writers and stories and characters yes. um that was just me being a fan it wasn't me thinking oh i'll do this someday but yeah um again the dc characters in general were yes. more were more sort of statues with costumes rather than the marvel approach to things like
0: people with feet of clay or so regular people
1: right but um, Flash and Green Lantern particularly mm. were were pretty interesting in an, yeah, you know. When
0: that, in the sixties, I'm obviously the Flash run the Infantino. Yeah, Green, Infantino. They were, they were phenomenal.
1: Infantino was great, and Infantino did Batman too, starting in like '64 or something, yes. and so that's when things started to change a little bit. Yes. But, but yeah, the, the the Green Lantern kind of was off on its own little area doing this amazing crazy
0: guardians and, and, and stuff, yeah.
1: all these sectors and so forth. <laughs> So, yeah, I had, a, I, yes. you know, wanted to play with that. I
0: was going to ask about the Dark Detective series hmm. coming back to work with, with Marshall. Right. Sort of one more time. I mean, how did that feel, working with him again? Obviously, I think he wasn't that well. Am I right? That no, he... Helpful, or was his he health all right at that point? Seemed to be. Seemed to
1: be. Um, if I don't forget that, I'll try to get back to that. Okay. Um, No, I mean, you know, obviously by that time, Marshall and I had done Silver Surfer together. We'd done, you know, Madame, Scorpio, Rose, whatever. So we knew each other. Um, But DC had like a new publisher come in and they were just launching the Nolan uh movies yes and so they wanted a lot of bat material yes. so they came to us and said do another one right now so, so it's 30 years right we did this thing that everybody said is like is
0: the greatest thing ever
1: and and dc didn't want any more of it because yes. they didn't want us associated with they don't like it when people say oh that's the englehart rogers batman mm-hmm. or the alan moore swamp or thing the
0: Adams or yeah
1: you thing. know they want it to be dc um so uh then we sat down to do, you know, and it was it was interesting. And, and some people in this audience will get this. That's like 30 years had gone by, but in your brain, it's it still right there, take, yeah. you know. Uh, and so it was no problem at all to get uh, back in the headspace to do that. Um, so we did that. People liked it. Yes. DC said, well, we're not going to publish anymore. Yes. But people liked it enough that they eventually said, oh, well, okay. Maybe we will. Yeah, do another series. And so Marshall and I lived near each other yes. and we would get together every this was sort of modified version of what I was talking about with Brunner. But I yes. mean, every week we would meet at a coffee shop somewhere between his house and my house and we'd sit there for a couple hours and he'd talk about, you know, what he was drawing and what he had in mind and I'd talk. And, and we'd go through this stuff and the only thing I can tell you is that every 20 minutes he had to go outside and smoke a cigarette. Really? Um, that was his vice. Yes. But he did not look sick.
0: Is that is lung cancer what killed
1: him? No, it was a heart attack. He what a heart attack? Um, he did not look sick. He did not, he uh, there fine. was nothing, I wasn't nothing. seeing see any... a peakiness at all. And then one morning I got a phone call starting, you know, from the Comics Journal and the to rest of these that, guys going, that, Do you have any comment Marshall on office. Marshall dropping dead? It's like, what? What the hell's that? Yeah, what are you talking about? It was a big surprise um, to me, and I, I assume to everybody. Mm. Um, so I had written all six scripts for the third run, yes. script in advance again, because he liked it that way. Marshall liked it that way. Um, and um, he had penciled the first issue, yes. and then he dropped dead. And and both Walt Simonson and Paul yes. Galacy yes. said... To DC, we'll step in and Am do we'll this as it? an homage yes. to Marvel. And DC said, "No, I don't think we'll publish it." They end up taking those scripts and sort of looking for interesting bits, and they put them in the Nolan movies. So and I, they you know, stole, them for, the film, stole them for the film. Yes, basically. Um, so for what it's worth, if you go to SteveEngelhart.com, yes. you can download. I've put up there as a bootleg the entire run of Dark De- of the Marshals and My Detective, starting with the original one and including the six scripts and, and the, the pencils. and the pencils wow. yeah from the from the from the first issue of the third run um, cuz i thought dc's never going to do this no. so it would be nice if people could see it i'm not making any money it's free just go download it um, 2 weeks after i put that up there dc announced that they were going to do a a retrospective you know you know so they they're going to try to get your money for it but uh yeah. um, yeah, I mean Marshall was, uh, we were all, Terry Austin too, we were all huge fans of the Batman and so working on the Batman was something that really gave us all a lot of pleasure and, and we knew that the other two guys were going to be doing the best they could as yes. well. So it was just, that was, was a whole labor of love and then yes. all of a sudden he wasn't there anymore. Oh, so I'm going to I'm going
0: to ask one more question I'm going to open it up to the audience. Okay. Um, so I mean where you are currently with your career, obviously you're, you're still writing and I mean obviously you've, I mean, how does it feel? Obviously, you've got well. Let me think. Get this right. Forty-five, 50, nearly well, almost fifty years. Getting on the, there in the industry. I mean, yeah. how do you look at that now? I mean, how do you look at your old work?
1: How do you see it? Um, well, it's funny because you know, deciding to write comic books was not. My parents weren't pleased, you know that kind of thing, uh, but it was what I wanted to do. But it was all done for the moment. There was. We, books in those days sold basically half a million or three quarters of a million copies on the newsstands in, in America and then whatever else. But the people who bought those liked comics and everybody else, at least in America, I mean in our system, everybody else just knew that comics were crap for kids, no value of whatsoever. And you couldn't convince anybody. You couldn't say, here, look at this and see what you think. they just go, no, I know it's no good. So... The idea was you were writing for three quarters of a million people, but that was it. Mm. And the idea that 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 there would be anything beyond that never occurred to and you anybody. Did, you didn't see
0: it as a career you, you, when you started. You didn't think I'm going to be doing. That. I'm not going to be a professional comic writer because people would come in and they would do it, but it wasn't seen as a as a career path at that time.
1: I didn't think that far. No, really, no. I just was doing it because I liked it, and I did yes. it. You know, I continued to like it, so I continued to do it um but nobody nobody not even stan lee on his best days was thinking they'll be marvel movies you know yeah, that will be the, will the biggest yeah the biggest box office ever um so i just wrote them because i liked to do them now looking back it's i don't know how it would be if there weren't the movies if the movies weren't drawing mm-hmm. driving a lot of this but, I mean, I sit at my table down there and, yes. peop, you know, people keep coming up and going, I just, you know, I'm reading these things yes. now, I'm reading them yes. then. The idea that they would still be current yes. 45 years later. Um, I mean, that was a great era. I mean, it was, you know, there was a lot of fun on everybody's part. Uh, so we thought they were pretty good, but again, for the, for the people who... The we're the willing to look at them, the you know, the yeah. idea that there would be all this stuff going on now is, is, is hard, was impossible to imagine, but the, the flip side is, people are continually talking to me about my Captain America or my Doctor Strange or whatever, yes. so it's like it, the, it never gets stale in no, my brain, no. you know.
0: Okay, so I'm going to open up to the audience. Question from the gentleman at the back.
1: Yeah. Steve, one error
0: that you have touched today is your uh, post-shooter model. Uh, uh, and your journey to Valiant and a uh, little bit of uh, Ultraverse. Yeah. I'm really curious about this because reading through your blogs and website, uh, post-shooter there seems to be a lot of change mm-hmm. in Marvel. And uh, I just wanted to get a feel for what was it like late 80s? the half
1: of 80's in Marvel and your journey to Well, I mean, again, when I got into comics I was given complete creative freedom and that was the atmosphere that Roy engendered. But Roy left and, you know, and eventually Shooter took over. And Shooter, you know, apparently there, I was not working at Marvel when Shooter took over, but people were missing deadlines, it was getting a little sloppy, and so Shooter sort of took it as his mandate to make the trains run on time which he did, but then, of course, that means that there's more control and there's more of this and that. And Shooter was mercurial, too. I mean, Shooter would <clears throat> suddenly decide that he, you know, he didn't like somebody and then would, he would make life tough for them. He never did that to me. I mean, I've heard stories from many other people about what life was like when he did do that to them, but he didn't do that to me, so I had no you know, particular beef with Shooter. Um, but then he left and when he left tom defalco became the editor but i don't think it, it certainly was this was all decided above tom's pay grade but that's when they first started going well the guy who owned the company at the time revson from the revlon people but he owned the company he was famous for saying this is a cash cow why aren't we you know making no more? more yeah and so oh. i was writing silver surfer and When I got The Silver Surfer, I was really sick of the one-issue stories where, you know, something moralistic happens and then he flies away sad because he can't, you know, get off Earth. They'd been doing that for 20 years. It was really good when Kirby and Lee created it, but it had been beaten into the ground. So I really said, I want to get him off of Earth. I want to get him out of space. And at first there was resistance to that, but eventually they did that. And so then I'm doing, you know, vast space operas with The Silver Surfer. And then DeFalco came to me and he said, you know, well, you know, we're trying to, you know, merchandise all these characters now. And it and, and, you know, they need things need to be simpler. So, you know, I want you to go back to like one issue stories where, you know, he flies away sad at the end. And I was doing Fantastic Four, and I had taken Reed and Sue out because I thought that needed to be shaken up, and he said, well, you know, we can't sell the Fantastic Four with Reed and Sue in it if they're not in the book, so we need you to stop doing that. Uh, that, to me, was the end of the Marble Age, 89, um, and that's when I said, no, that's not what I signed up for. I don't want to do that either, Um So I left Marvel at that point. I went and wrote children's books for a while. I had young kids at that time, and I I ended up writing books for Avon, um, children's stories, young adult stories. And then Malibu got started, and they came, and they said, "You know, we want you to be one of the people who do this sort of thing. And they gave us complete creative freedom. Steve Gerber was another writer who ended up there. And I I can remember Gerber and me sitting around one night just going, we were like the lobsters in the pot, right? I mean, little by little, the freedom had been sort of stripped away, and now all of a sudden we got it back again, and we're like, wow, this is really, you know, cool. We loved Malibu. We loved Malibu. But Marvel went bankrupt, and they took everybody down with them. And Malibu had a lot of money because they had been publishing Image before Image decided to publish Image. So Malibu had a lot of money, but in the end... They still ran out of money. And so Marvel bought them primarily because Malibu created the whole Photoshop coloring thing. And Marvel bought Malibu in order to get those guys, not for anything else. Um, So, you know, I was doing some work for Tops at that point, I think, you know. But basically that's when I sort of started to think, yeah, this business is really not the business that I... Okay. that i was looking for um and wrote you know i wrote children i did video games i did you know a bunch of other things besides comics um dropped back in briefly in the early 2000s did a couple things for tom brevoort at marvel but again that's when it first started to come down to uh i think that's what i was saying they they came to me at one point and said um we, want it, we actually want to bring the Ultraverse characters back. We'd like you to write a book that would be you know, all the major Ultraverse characters. Later on, they looked at the contracts. And, and so they said, no, we're not, actually, we're not going to do that. But for a while there, that's what I was working on. But they wanted to know what are the first 12 issues going to be. And that was really bizarre to me because I'm, I'm so used to just sort of writing in the moment. I mean, I've certainly, as a professional writer, I would think about, you know, okay, where is this going to go? How is this arc going to play out? But I didn't plot it out. I just sort of thought it's going to end up over there and I'll get there as I'm doing everything else. The idea of, you know, starting a series and a year later just kind of going, oh, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do in issue 12, that really didn't appeal to me. So that's, you know, it was after 89 that I started to kind of Move away from comics because they just couldn't do the. You know, I mean, what can I tell you? If they, if if I had started in the business and they said the way this works is we're going to have complete creative control and tell you what to do, which is what anybody starting in comics now would probably run into. It's like, yeah, okay, well, that's the deal. That's how the job works, but that isn't how it worked for me. So,
0: any other questions? Yeah. yeah there was definitely safe, uh,
1: Do whatever the hell we want. Yeah. Did you hang out together? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Starlin, Starlin and I, and, and a guy named Alan Weiss, and Milgram to an extent, um, we were sort of a crew. But yeah, we were all, the, in those days you pretty much had to move to New York. Uh, it was before the internet, it was before FedEx. So you sort of had to physically be able to go to the office and hand people stuff and pick stuff up. That was like the the first step to becoming a comic book person was to move to New York. Um, once I got established, I was able to move out of New York, and and I many nights I would like write until four in the morning and then drive down to the post office and buy a bunch of stamps out of the machine, market special delivery, and send it off. And a day and a half later, it would get to New York. Very you loud, know. Our next panel, which is panel room one on the second floor, what about 60 70, in the shuttle, Yeah. The left. In panel room two, we have from Wonder Woman to Captain
0: Marvel, empowering women in comics and films, and then on the main stage outside the beautiful square, we have our Jedi class. Don't forget, we have got things on all levels today. We've got things on the basement, the ground <laughs> floor, the third floor, <laughs> the second floor, and the upper uh, floor, and the third floor. And don't in the yeah. okay. So on that yeah. note, I'm going to thank Steve. Yeah. Thanks everyone. <laughs> thank thank um, I believe that uh, menswear is on the second floor. Um, um, yeah. Coats are on the third, and uh,
1: well, this is my day has been sort of broken up by doing this. I did an hour at my table, then an hour of Stan Lee, then an hour at my table, then this hour, but I'll be at my table for the rest of the day. So if you didn't get your question answered, come on down to the so table. So thanks,
0: everyone, for coming. Thank you to Steve. Yeah.
1: Thank
0: you. Steve, thanks again. I really sure. enjoyed that. No, good. good.